RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock. I'm Sean Kennedy. Tonight's headlines. Carrie Lamb addresses concerns that voices against national security legislation would not be heard. There's controversy over pro-establishment heavyweight Tam Yu Chung's comments that hopefuls, hopefuls would be barred from running for LegCo if they don't support security laws. And a DSC candidate launches a legal challenge against the withdrawal of a history exam question. The chief executive says there's no need for her to reflect opposing views to proposed national security laws to Beijing officials because they're well aware of them. Carrie Lam met with Vice Premier Han Zheng in Beijing today. She says mainland officials will meet with pro-establishment figures such as local NPC and CPPCC figures and the LegCo president for their views. But it appears members of the pan-democratic camp will be excluded. And Mrs Lam again accused foreign governments of adopting double standards on the matter. The international community and some of the foreign governments have been adopting blatant double standards in dealing with this matter and commenting on this matter. It is within the legitimate jurisdiction of any country to enact laws to protect and safeguard national security. USA is no exception, UK is no exception. Hong Kong people's confidence lies in one country, two systems, and all the streams and competitive advantages of Hong Kong. It does not lie in what individual foreign governments have to say about Hong Kong. Government critics have slammed comments by NPC Standing Committee member Tam Yu Chung, who said those who oppose the national security law should be barred from running in September's LegCo election. Civic Party leader Elvin Young accused Beijing of trying to rule Hong Kong by fear. Uh, either Tam or uh, his masters behind him do not wish to see a harmonious Hong Kong, but to further rule Hong Kong by fear. We are concerned not only because we are legislators, but how, um, how Hong Kong is going to still remain as Hong Kong. Obviously, those people who make such comments are irresponsible, and if they are genuine about it, they just wish to wipe out the whole opposition camp in Hong Kong, and that would no longer be the same Hong Kong afterwards. But a pro-government lawmaker, Alice Mack of the Federation of Trade Unions, believes those who are against the national security laws are in breach of the basic law. The national security law is inserted in industry of the basic law. So it is in fact part of the basic law. Anybody vote against the national security law or anybody saying that they do not support the national security law, which is part of the basic law, we can reasonably think that that person does not support the basic law. So is it a criteria for disqualification? I think I will leave it for the election officer to the, the foreign ministry in Beijing has spoken out against what it sees as British interference in Hong Kong's affairs after Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he would offer Hong Kongers with BNO passports a route to UK citizenship if Beijing pushes ahead with its national security law. RTHK's London correspondent Gavin Gray sees Mr Johnson's proposal as part of international efforts to try to hold China accountable. Over the last few days, we've had this mood music, I would suggest, with the nations of Canada, Australia, New Zealand and America, uh, and indeed looking at the Five Eyes Alliance about how to handle a potential exodus of people. But those countries I listed are also now really pushing the United Nations to appoint a special envoy to Hong Kong in order to monitor how the new law will affect human rights. As I said, this is trying, I think, to uh, push perhaps the brinkmanship a little further and to keep China guessing as to just how far those nations I've listed and the Five Eyes Alliance is willing to take this. 
A Form 6 student has launched a legal challenge against the Examinations and Assessment Authority's decision to scrap a DSE history exam question about Sino-Japanese relations. The Education Chief, Kevin Young, said the question, which asked whether Japan did more good than harm to China between 1900 and 1945, was leading and biased. The judicial review was launched by Lo Mingyin, who set the history exam and filed, and it was filed by the group Secondary Students Action Platform on his behalf. Isaac Cheng is the group's spokesman. You can see that this is the obvious decisions that because of the political reasons uh, uh, or even the pressure comes from the Education Bureau or even the central government. So uh, when we are doing this JL, we are actually protecting the freedom of the academics and also the freedom of talking about different issues. You're tuned to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. The Deputy Chairman and Chief Executive of HSBC Hong Kong, Peter Wong, has voiced support for the national security law, saying it can bring long-term prosperity and stability to the city. In an interview with the Xinhua News Agency, he said many people in the business sector believe the legislation would ensure Hong Kong remains an international finance centre. The bank's official WeChat account also showed Mr Wong signed a petition in support of the new law. The Post said HSBC respects and supports laws that stabilise Hong Kong's social order and help the economy to rebuild and recover under the one country, two systems principle. The announcement came after former Chief Executive C.Y. Leung complained that the banking giant hadn't expressed its position on the law. LegCo President Andrew Leung has slashed the debate time on amendments to the National Anthem Bill from 16 hours to 10, keeping the proceedings on track for a vote tomorrow. He explained that the debate had to be shortened because the second reading of the controversial bill had taken up more time than expected because of what he described as the more unruly behaviour of some lawmakers. People Power legislator Ray Chan, who tabled 16 of the 21 amendments that have been put forward, is furious about the reduced debate time he spoke through an interpreter. What is the value and use of the LegCo anymore? We don't even have a chance to have a serious debate. I think the LegCo nowadays has no value. You said that members have behaved in a grossly disorderly manner. They just want to speak. They are not allowed to do so. You don't even give us a chance to calmly explain our amendments. It's just like what's going on outside. Why are there so many conflicts outside? How come that a lot of those rational, calm ones have turned into radicals? Because you've taught them that being calm and rational is useless. If passed, the legislation would ban people from mocking or misusing the national anthem with offenders risking fines of up to $50,000 or three years in prison. Health authorities say there are no new COVID-19 cases in Hong Kong today as officials continue testing residents of a Sha Tin housing block that's been hit by a cluster of infections. There are now calls for the government to make coronavirus testing mandatory in a bid to track down the source of the virus quickly. Wendy Wong has more. This infection work continued at a public housing block at Lake Yun Estate, where six residents have come down with COVID-19 in recent days. Some people have been seen packing the bus and leaving the estate. But the health secretary, Sophia Chan, said they don't have to. Speaking on an RTHK program, she also dismissed calls for residents there to be put under medical surveillance. There's no need for that as long as they visit a doctor when they feel unwell, she said. However, Dr. Ho Pak Long, who has the University of Hong Kong Center for Infection, accused the government of being too passive in the fight against the outbreak and warned that this could lead to a further spread of the virus. 
He calls for more stringent measures, such as mandatory tests for those who don't provide saliva samples voluntarily, and limiting the contacts with other members of the public. The president of the Medical Association, Dr. Ho Chongping, meanwhile, urged 7,000 private doctors in the city to remain vigilant and test patients for the coronavirus, even if they only have mild symptoms. Previously, we believe that all these COVID patients usually have very severe symptoms. They got fever, they got cough, they got dyspnea, and so on. But as we it turned out that sometimes they just come in because of minimal symptoms. The ladies first came to see the doctor and maybe just has a little bit of sore throat, a little bit of cough. So the doctors really doesn't have that come to, to their minds. So we probably have to learn a lesson and that is whenever there's a patient come in even with minimal symptoms, we would consider this possibility. The total number of infections reported in Hong Kong remains at 1,093. Representatives of the disciplined forces have criticised the government from deviating, for deviating from a pay adjustment mechanism that recommended a salary increase. Bonnie Lowe, who chairs the Disciplined Services Consultative Council on the staff side, expressed disappointment with the announcement of a one-year pay freeze yesterday. She says the council will collect views from members before deciding on their next move. As the largest employer of Hong Kong, we expect the Hong Kong government to be the role model among others to adjust the salary of the employees in order to maintain our purchasing power. We would like to talk to CE regarding the pay issue. And the United States has ordered the suspension of all flights by Chinese airlines into and out of the country after Beijing failed to allow American carriers to resume service to China. The move is apparently intended to penalise China after Beijing failed to comply with the existing agreement on flights between the world's two largest economies. The flights are expected, the restrictions are expected to take effect on June 16th. Overseas, and Pope Francis has called for national reconciliation in the United States after the police killing of an unarmed black man, George Floyd, that's led to eight nights of protests across the country. The rallies have been mostly peaceful, but last night saw fewer cases of looting. The BBC's Samira Hussein is in New York. We didn't see as much looting as we'd seen on that Monday night here in New York. In fact, police say that they made about 200 arrests in the city and largely due to people violating this curfew. But people here are very angry and what they feel is just a lack of justice for black and brown Americans. And so the real spirit and that anger certainly hasn't abated. The violence certainly has, but these kinds of protests will likely continue. The American filmmaker Spike Lee, known for his eloquence on the issue of racial injustice, has released a short film as part of the George Floyd protests. Mr Lee under intercuts footage of his 1989 film Do the Right Thing with that of the arrests of Floyd and Eric Garner, both of which resulted in their deaths. He spoke about the protests. People are fed up, not just black folks. If you've seen the footage of the protesters, it's very, very diverse. And, and for what's exciting for me, though, is that it's, it's a generation of my young white sisters and brothers who don't want to do what their parents and grandparents and great-grandparents. And so there's a solidarity here, which I haven't seen since I was a young kid. You know, I was 10 years old, 67. So that's when you saw... Black Panther Party, the anti-war movement, people were getting together. 
The first cyclone in more than a century to hit Mumbai appears to have largely spared India's financial capital. No major damage was reported so far after Cyclone Nizaga struck with about 10,000 people evacuated from their homes. The BBC's Yugita Lamai reports. The cyclone has made landfall in the district of Raigad, which is uh, south of Mumbai. Fishermen, of course, since yesterday were told not to go out. This is definitely the worst storm that Mumbai is expected to see in decades. It comes at a time when this is the worst affected city in India by coronavirus. Sports and Hong Kong's Asian Games squash champion Leo Ao is calling it a career at the age of 30. Adam Chung has more. Hong Kong's top squash player Leo Ao has decided to call time on his playing career. He made history in 2018 by becoming the first Hong Kong man to win gold in squash at the Asian Games. That was in Jakarta when he defeated teammate Max Lee in the men's final. Ao was also a key member of the men's team that won bronze at the 2017 World Team Championships. The 30-year-old has accumulated 203 victories in 344 matches played over 16 years of competition. His retirement puts an end to the Al siblings' contribution to local squash as players. His older sister Annie retired in March following a decorated career that included five Asian Games medals and a place in the world's top 10. The chairman of the anti-discrimination group, Kick It Out, has urged every player in the English Premier League to take a knee when the season resumes in protest against the killing of George Floyd by police in Minnesota. The BBC's Betty Glover reports. Footballers should feel free to protest over the death of George Floyd and should take a knee. That's according to the chair of football's equality and inclusion body, Kick It Out. Sanjay Bandari has told the BBC players doing so would be a very powerful image. Players from Chelsea and Newcastle took a knee in training on Tuesday, following the example of Liverpool's squad who did so earlier in the week. And a reminder of our top stories tonight. Carrie Lamb addresses concerns that voices against a national security legislation would not be heard. There's controversy over pro-establishment heavyweight Tam Yu Chung's comments that hopefuls would be barred from running for LegCo if they don't support the security laws. And a DSC candidate launches a legal challenge against the withdrawal of a history exam question. The news from RTHK. RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. The Foreign Ministry in Beijing has spoken out against what it sees as British interference in Hong Kong's affairs. This comes after British Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he would offer Hong Kongers with British national overseas passports a route to UK citizenship if Beijing pushes ahead with its national security law here. A ministry spokesman, Zhao Lijian, called on London to abandon their colonial mindset and Cold War mentality. Jim Gould asked our UK correspondent, Gavin Gray, how Mr Johnson's offer is being received in the UK. Well, 
I think it's interesting because I think the Prime Minister has certainly gone a step further than the Foreign Secretary Dominic Raab went um, over the last few days. There hasn't been a great deal of uh, response to Dominic Raab's initial proposal to uh, extend the uh, visa for BNO passport holders, but also potentially to uh, talk about citizenship as well. Boris Johnson's gone that bit further, um, and it's very interesting that just within the space of 24 hours, there was the House of Commons, Dominic Raab implying the offer was only available to a narrower group, stressing that the government needs to be realistic about what it can offer, and then writing in the Times, Boris Johnson appearing to make that offer much, much wider, uh, and indeed go much further uh, in offering this perhaps uh, uh, token of citizenship in the future. That might be because they want to keep uh, the Chinese authorities guessing as to the strength of the response, or it might be that Britain simply doesn't actually have a clear policy and that the cabinet is split. Hmm. Uh, most people here would agree that there's virtually no prospect of Beijing backtracking on the security law. So can we really expect that the UK government uh, will go ahead with this? I think if the UK government thinks that it's got the backing of other uh, nations, yes, to some way, shape or form. Uh, Dominic Raab expressing concern there could be an exodus. I mean, let's repeat that. Uh, two and a half million people could be eligible to apply for them. That's what Boris Johnson has written. Some estimates actually put it at more than that. Now, that is an awful lot of people who might suddenly want to come to the UK. And that's why over the last few days, we've had this mood music, I would suggest, with the nations of Canada, Australia, New Zealand, and America, uh, and indeed looking at the Five Eyes Alliance about how to handle a potential exodus of people. But those countries I listed are also now really pushing the United Nations to appoint a special envoy to Hong Kong in order to monitor how the new law will affect human rights. As I said, this is trying, I think, to uh, push perhaps the brinkmanship a little further and to keep China guessing as to just how far those nations I've listed and the Five Eyes Alliance willing to take this. Now, the UK economy has been badly hit by the global pandemic. I mean, how would it be able to cope with uh, a possibly large influx of people? Well, I think if you look on the brighter side, yes, there will be some with those BNO uh, uh, passport holders who perhaps um, wouldn't uh, immediately be able to add a great deal to the British economy, other than, of course, hard work. However, I think the British feel that among that initial 350,000 who currently have it, and perhaps among the 2.6 million who might be extended, this offer might be extended to, there will be some very wealthy entrepreneurial people. And that may well uh, uh, sweeten the deal as such and may concern China a little more. Um, it is known, I think, a lot of the people that have this passport uh, have in the past uh, been uh, keen, perhaps, with business to make sure that they have the right uh, uh, legislation behind them in order to further their business opportunities. And that's no doubt something that Boris Johnson will really want to help out with uh, in the fact that, yes, you're right, the economy is not doing very well, like Germany, like other countries, it is tipping into recession. Um, but I think if some of those coming uh, have a lot of money to invest, that may well be something that Boris Johnson would be very happy about. A leading virologist at the University of Hong Kong says it's unlikely COVID-19 can be completely eliminated from the city, so health authorities should focus on preventing large-scale outbreaks instead. Professor Malik Peris was commenting on the cluster of nine cases surrounding a woman who lives in Sha Tin and works in Kwai Chung. He told Janice Wong we need to be vigilant and increase testing. The 
unfortunate aspect of this particular virus, unlike SARS, is its ability to cause very mild or asymptomatic infections. So it is this sort of underground chain of transmission uh, that is probably leading to clusters being detected from time to time. So I think what it means is that we need to continue to be vigilant, um, enhance our surveillance, enhance our testing, and in particular, this applies to general practitioners when they see patients with fever, respiratory disease, etc., uh, taking specimens and submitting these specimens for testing. Because in Hong Kong, unlike in some other parts of the world, there is no shortage of capacity. Essentially, the capacity is underutilized because the specimens are not being submitted. So in all these ways, we, we really need to maintain our guard. But do you expect more community clusters of infections to appear in, in the next few weeks? I think it is quite likely that we will see such clusters because, um, as I said, this indicates some underground chains of transmission. So uh, we, we have to be prepared for that. Uh, as long as we can detect them and respond to them quickly, we can prevent large-scale community transmission. I think that is really the aim. I mean, I think it was probably too much to expect the virus to be completely eliminated from Hong Kong. But I think the aim really is to prevent large-scale community transmission. And if we can do this, detect these clusters at the earliest, uh, track all their close contacts and, and diagnose them, isolate them, we can keep on top of things. And the government has extended our current social distancing measures to the 18th of this month. Uh, under what situation do you think the government should consider tightening these social distancing measures again? I think at the moment there is really no need to tighten it further. But if we do have further multiple clusters of cases emerging, then we clearly do have to think about tightening these measures again. So I think that to those measures I mentioned before in terms of surveillance, testing, etc., I think the immunity participation is also fundamentally important. And the social distancing measures that, although they have been relaxed, um, I think it is quite important that as a community, we need to be aware that uh, it is not a question of going back to status quo, going back to normal. Uh, we really have to remain on our guard. WWF Hong Kong has called on the government to take tougher action against wildlife crimes following a record 26-tonne seizure of illegal dried shark fins last month. It's thought that 38,000 sharks that were considered vulnerable to extinction were killed for the $8.6 million haul. The Green Group says wildlife crime offences need to be listed in the Organised and Serious Crimes Ordinance to deter transnational syndicates from using Hong Kong as a smuggling hub. Andy Cornish, leader of WWF's Global Shark Programme, told Timmy Sung not only there's been an increase in dried shark fins smuggled into Hong Kong in the past few years, there have also been significant seizures of other wildlife animal products. Between 2013 and 2017, about 560 million Hong Kong dollars worth seized. This is things like illegal ivory, pangolin scales, rhino horns, um, and just the scale. I mean, the, you know, those... Those equate to about 3,000 dead elephants, 65,000 pangolins. Um, the recent seizures um, of shark from, from Ecuador, uh, Hong Kong government estimates that's from about 38,000 sharks. Um, and so we've got these, these high, you know, very high levels. I mean, Hong Kong is clearly an illegal wildlife hub. So if um, illegal wildlife trade was added onto uh, the Organised and Serious Crimes Ordinance, 
uh, Schedule 1. That would allow authorities much more wide-ranging powers uh, to tackle this. So it would allow them, you know, rather than just focusing on the, the smugglers and the importers, I mean, that really allows them to go back to, back to the source. You know, and at the end of the day, uh, this is organized crime. Um, the, you know, the ivory and pangolin trade in Africa meets the definitions of organized crime from the United Nations Office of Drugs and Crime, you know, and these, it doesn't, when it comes to Hong Kong, this is not, you know, this is not unorganized crime. We have a serious problem. I think customs have been doing a really good job with the seizures, um, but, you know, Hong Kong really needs to up its game. But isn't there uh, already existing law that tackles smuggling of uh, uh, endangered species, like the, uh, the protection of endangered species and animals and plants ordinance? Yes, that, that's true. But for example, one of the things that this would facilitate, it would invest, it, uh, enable investigations, for example, into money laundering. Um, it allows them, you know, rather than just uh, the limit, limited prosecutions um, of, you know, people are actually involved in the trading side of things. It really allows, allows more comprehensive investigations, uh, which allow them to, you know, track down the kingpin, kingpins, um, you know, perhaps more intelligence sharing amongst agencies. So it's a, it's a, it's a higher level approach um, with more tools that can, uh, that can be used. There were only a handful of prosecutions over the years. And uh, why is it so difficult to, you know, to go behind the people? who are actually in the business? Well, one of the... Um, so with shark fin, um, where some of it is, uh, you know, some imports are legal, some of them are not, uh, what you often find is that in a container, uh, it's mixed in. So the species that are allowed to be uh, illegally imported, for example, are often, you know, sort of the, the ones that when you first sort of go into the container or, or whatever it is are the ones that you'd encounter first. Um, and it's often the ones that are uh, illegal will actually sort of be buried in, buried in the middle. So my understanding from speaking sort of unofficially to government is that it can be difficult to prove that the importer uh, intended to import illegal sins. So they could, they could make a case where they're saying, well, I didn't order those illegal fins, I ordered this fins, and the exporter must have just slipped these other ones in the middle. So it's difficult to prove intent, all right? So you really need to be actually working uh, with the authorities uh, in the country that exported uh, the fins uh, to really do, uh, do much deeper investigations, as I would say, you know, the, I, the Ecuador authorities are, are doing now for this, um, for this massive case. Transport Secretary Frank Chan says the Buildings Department has taken legal action against Leighton, the main contractor responsible for the shoddy work at the Hong Kong Station extension for the MTR's Shatin to Central Link. Priscilla Ng reports. Last month, a Commission of Inquiry's final report said the MTR Corporation and Leighton had demonstrated serious deficiencies in the Hong Kong Station Extension project, including poor craftsmanship, bad management and lax oversight. Speaking at a LegCo question and answer session, Transport Secretary Frank Chan said the government is looking closely at the recommendations laid out in the report. But he said legal action has already been taken against Leighton for allegedly breaching the building ordinance. When asked if the government would do more to penalize Leighton or the rail giant, Mr. Chan said the Development Bureau is still considering the matter carefully. He spoke through an interpreter. The Development Bureau is now reviewing the final report in order to examine and then analyze whether there are new circumstances that have not been previously considered. If necessary, the Development Bureau will pass on to the existing regulatory regime follow-up on a case in a fair and just manner. 
As for legal liability, we understand that the building's department prosecuted the contractor Leighton under Cap 123 Buildings Ordinance on the 15th of May this year. Since the case has entered the judicial process, it is not appropriate to comment at this stage. The transport chief added that the government has begun work to set up a new department to oversee future railway projects. The $90 billion Shantin to Central Link, which will eventually run between Taiwai Station and Admiralty, is not expected to open fully until 2022. Trains are now running on part of the new line from Taiwai to Kai Tak. Now, how can we tell who will need to be hospitalised if they fall ill with COVID-19 and who might not even develop symptoms? Scientists at the Francis Crick Institute in London and Charité University Medicine in Berlin say the blood of someone with coronavirus could provide clues. Professor Marcus Relser is the lead author of this study. What did they find out? Essentially, uh, what we work on are uh, modern versions of blood tests where at one point in time we quantify thousands of uh, individual molecules, thousands of proteins, and they give us a picture about how this patient is in this particular moment in time. And we apply these techniques now to uh, early cohorts of COVID-19 patients, and we could see uh, that these uh, blood signatures distinguish uh, patients which have severe forms, critical forms, or even milder forms of the disease. And so we hope that these develop into prognostic tests that we can make available uh, or can be made available to the clinicians and help them to decide you know, who needs an intensive treatment, who needs probably other forms of treatment. And in this way, uh, we hope to support them to direct the right therapy. It adds to a lot of investigations that are going on at the moment. And basically, uh, long story short, is that the individual's immune system, of course, responds differently in different individuals and fights, therefore, the virus more or less effectively. And that's, in the end of the day, what we also see reflected in these blood tests that we run. Those stories were part of the NewsRap program, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. Sean Kennedy from our newsroom. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, always keep hands clean and wash hands for at least 20 seconds. Put the lid down before flushing. Add water to U-traps regularly. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask and seek medical advice promptly if unwell. Fully cover your nose, mouth and chin with a mask. Visit chp.gov.hk to learn more. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to remember. 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 Absolutely. Moments to remember. From now until 1am with Yostrole Ray Cordero. This is Johnny Pearson at the piano.